Hi there. My name is Dr. Pragenta, and I'm the host of the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner, and I want to be your guide into the world of nursing professions. This podcast is a platform for nurses to share their journeys as they made their way in the diverse field of nursing as either entrepreneurs, academia, private practice, or even the corporate world. I think we should celebrate just how diverse the field of nursing is through mentoring one another with the stories of our career journeys. Nothing is too mundane because each journey is unique. This podcast will showcase career options to encourage nurses to view their degrees with a business mindset. After all, we work in the healthcare business. And ultimately, I hope I might inspire you to make a change if you're looking for something different. I am motivated to see you live your best nursing life, and that looks different for everyone. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast, and let's get started with today's guest. Hi, Dr. Nurse Podcast. Thanks for listening, people. We have got the wonderful Dr. John McRae. McRae, you got it. McRae. He is a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner. You're a family nurse practitioner. You also have your master's in public health. I like to hit on anything you've got because it is important. You spent time investing (laughs) your energy and your money and just your mental space. So you need credit for it. So let's start kind of with your history. And I'd like to just kind of take it from the top and just let our listeners know where you're from and then kind of your expertise. And then we can get into your journey. But you grew up in Idaho. And after high school, you went to the University of Idaho with the thought of becoming a dentist. After applying to dental school a couple times, trying to kind of see if you can get in, it just wasn't happening. After trying one last time in 2007 to get into dental school, you went and got your bachelor's in nursing and then you fell in love with patient care. And then in 2011, you finished your degree. You started as a bedside nurse. After trying to climb the corporate ladder, realizing this is not going to be a way that I can create change, you decided to become a nurse practitioner, which then you realized you also can't create a whole lot of change there (laughs) working for the system. So then after that program was finished in, in 2016, you started your own business in January of 2017. That did not take you very long to figure it out. And you got started in aesthetics and you found a passion for that. And then it looks like during the pandemic time, you started learning how to create courses to teach other healthcare professionals to do aesthetics and other procedures that you know very well because of your business, how to do. And so you're married for almost 20 years. Wow, how yeah. sweet. And you've got some babies and you have a cat and a dog and a hedgehog. So and life a hedgehog, is good. Yep. Yeah, life, life, life is good. Well, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. It, yes. it's, you know, you put that into a, a, a five-minute nutshell. It was a long time. I have 13 years of education. <laughs> wow. because Not necessarily because, oh, I'm an overachiever. It's because I didn't know what I was doing. You just kind of float with life and you kind of go from, you know, here to there. But the dental school thing is kind of funny. I have a family member. He's an uncle. He's, he's, a, he's a dentist. And I saw... He's about 12 years older than me, and I saw how successful he was in his life because of continuing education. And so I thought, hmm, I'm going to get into that. But getting into dental school is very difficult. The yeah. average program only has about 50 slots, and they'll have over 2,000 people apply for those 50 slots. Wow. And so when you're one of 2,000, it's really hard to rise to the top. I had my biology degree. I went back and got a master's in public health. And during that time, I keep trying to get into dental school, you know, and it's expensive. Like, you're looking at two, three thousand dollars an application process. 
plus the testing requirements, plus all this kind of stuff and prereqs and whatnot. But after I got my master's degree and I got straight A's in my master's program, you know, I'm like, okay, I got a public health degree. My project in my master's degree was water fluoridation, which is right up the dental alley. And I'm like, okay, they got to let me in now. They've got to let me in now. And they didn't. And so you you get to this point where you're a little disenfranchised with the world. You're like, oh my gosh, what else could I do? But the problem is, is that there's 2000 people and they all have the same story, right? If I have a master's degree, how many other people have master's degree? Well, the answer is a lot. And so it was just really hard to rise to the top. When I graduated from my master's program, I it was during the downturn economics, you know, the housing crash of 2008, 2007, that lull between 2008 and 2011, where there is literally no jobs. I could not find a job. But I was noticing um, as I was looking for public health jobs, there were a ton of public health nursing jobs. I mean, just a ton of them. And I'm like, holy smoke, but they all required a nursing degree. Sure. So, so my wife goes, my wife years ago, she goes, you should become a nurse. And then all of a sudden she's like, I told you, you should have become a nurse. (laughs) Your wife's always right. Right. (laughs) Um, So I went back to school, got my nursing, my uh, baccalaureate in, in nursing. And I loved it. I love patient care. I love the science behind it. I'm like, oh, screw dental school. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a nurse. So I got um, hired by a hospital in, right out of school in 2011. Yeah. And I said, hmm, I'm going to climb this corporate ladder. I hired within. I have tons of opportunities. And I dove into that bureaucracy. And I got very jaded very quickly because all it was was talk. Like you go to all these meetings and they just talk, 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 talk. And it was all about the money and how could they be more fiscally responsible? And what ended up happening from all these meetings is nurses took it. You know, they took the, you know, you make a change and it was usually for the detriment of the nurses. More patients, more work, less resources. It, it, it became disen- I was just disenfranchised from it. I'm like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I went back to school again, working on degree number four. And three years later, I got my doctorate. When I finished my doctoral degree, my project that I did in my doctorate was on oral cancer screening in primary care. And when I was doing that, I worked a lot with dentistry, right? Because that's kind of my... You must love the mouth. You love it. Well, it's kind of interesting (laughs) you say that. But yeah, so I did this oral cancer screening project and I worked with dentists. And I saw how dentistry worked versus how medicine works. Because, you know, I was trained in the medical model. Dental model is completely different. It's it's just... They, how they, is it they, different? Well, in the medical model, what are we trained to do? We Diagnosed. go sit down with the patient. What's your yeah. chief complaint? Yeah. And then we work them up by asking a bunch of questions, right? Yeah. And by the time we're done asking questions, I mean, you know this, you're, you're an NP. But once yeah. you're done with those asking those questions, you pretty much know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? You do yeah. a quick physical exam just to confirm what your hunch is. Yes. And then you assess, and then you um, plan, uh, assess, plan, implement, or excuse me, then you diagnose and treat. Yes. Dentistry doesn't do that. Dentistry is a, I, I call it a doing model versus a thinking model. So dentistry, what they do is somebody comes in, oh, you got a tooth, toothache? Let me look. They go straight to the looking. They don't ask questions. They don't, hmm. I mean, they'll ask a question or two. But they go in and they go straight to the treatment mode, right? That's how they're trained. 
And they're also trained on a very specific system of the body, which is the oral um, cavity or in the, in the oral cavity. Right. Yeah. And they're not really trained to look at labs or look at, you know, other diagnostics other than, you know, x-raying that. Well, guess what? The mouth's part of the body. And there's a lot of things that go on with the mouth that have mm. other health implications. And they're getting so do better. You, they're getting do you feel better. Like, do you feel like that is an incomplete model? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So you are against that model. You feel like it's not complete. I don't know if I'm against it. I mean, it works for what they do. It's just lacking. I I was going to say, because I feel like when I've left the dentist personally, I always leave and I think like, that's it. <laughs> right. It just, I, I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Like when I leave the dentist sometimes and my, I told my husband this, I said, it almost feels like it's kind of voodoo medicine. So, I mean, like I love dentists. They are amazing, but sometimes oh, yeah, I kind of feel that way. Like, okay, is that it? all right, I'll go home and nurse this tooth and get a root canal. And I guess that's what we do. I don't know. I feel like there's, there's something lacking is what it feels like to me. Well, and on the converse of that in medicine, they don't spend a whole lot of time on the mouth either. Why? There's a whole profession for that. And that's a lacking component of medicine as well. And so anyway, so I'm, I'm doing this project. I'm working with dental professionals and I'm learning how they do things. And then I see how medicine does things. And I'm, I'm looking at this going, okay, there's a niche here. Like yes, there's, there's, there's a, a gap. crossover. There's a gap. There's here. A gap. So my last year of my um, NP program, I got this really awesome opportunity to work at the VA. They actually paid me as a student, um, the VA. So the VA has these centers of excellence and mm-hmm. you can actually be a paid student at, as an, and work as an NP yeah. while Is you're it, in NP school. I think it's called like a, the Valor program for, for nurses. Well, the nurses, it's called the Valor program. I don't yeah. know exactly what it's called for NPs. The yeah. Valor program actually pays more than the NP one. I made like 12 bucks an hour or something like that, but it doesn't matter because I would, I would have been will, willing to do it for free. Right. It's, yeah. it's like an internship, but thank you. So, cool. so for that last year of my doctoral program, I had my own patients. I mean, I was, I was, I was working as an NP, which was really cool. But anyways, where was I going with that? Oh, you were uh, talking about I, your project. Yeah. So I got, I got kind of jaded with the way NPs are treated in medicine. I mean, the, the VA is very good with, to their NPs, but in all my other rotations, you know, NPs got slammed with patients. I mean, you're seeing 20, 30 patients a day sometimes uh-huh. in these primary care mm-hmm. practices. And it, it, it just, I could just see the burnout. Like you're going to get burned out in this model. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to, I've already been burned out once as a bedside nurse. I am not going to be burned out again as a nurse practitioner. And so that's why I started my own business. But anyways, when I, so I, I, I graduated in May and I started looking at jobs and I, I realized, okay, if I work for somebody, they are going to work me off. I mean, they're just yeah. going to work me until I'm dead. And yes. then I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go someplace else. And then they're going to work me till I'm dead. And it's not yes. going to be very fulfilling. Yes. Know? That's not why I got in. That's not why I got into this. So after looking at around a few jobs, doing some interviews, I'm like, okay, I've got to start my own thing. So back to the dentistry thing, my uncle, who I told you, I, I, he was 12 years older than me. He had a successful dental practice. Well, he had just built this big, oh, huge building. And he was only using about two thirds of it. And there was about a third that was just kind of set vacant. And I go, Hey, let me set up shop in your dental practice. I'll form my own business, which is called Mountain West Medical Services. And we're going to do a, a crossover. Like I'm going to fill in the gaps that dentistry is missing. And that's how I started the business. And so he goes, okay, well, what does that look like? So anyways, what did I end up doing is he did a lot of surgeries. Like he was more of an oral surgeon. Is he a dental surgeon? Okay. Oral yeah, maxillofacial. So, yeah. yeah. So he does a lot of like 
implants and bone work and bone grafting and, and, and things like that. So I started off just doing his, his preoperative screenings. You so know. I wanted to add, at least we're here in Florida, nurse practitioners can step into the dental world from like my scope of practice when I've read it. I didn't know we could work with dentists, but like, I believe at least here in Florida, we've yeah. got a capacity to go into the dental world and work in that. You're the first one I've ever talked to that's been kind of in that role. Yeah. So I'm in Idaho and Idaho is a very rural state. And we probably of all the states have the most liberal rules to our practice. They want, they want you to do anything you can, you think that you're, that you can, that you can get trained to do. So I do a lot of stuff that in other states, you're not going to be able to do. I work completely independent. So yes, I'm in the dental world, but I'm a completely independent provider. I can prescribe any kind of medication I can, well, to, with a few exceptions, but I'm fully, I have a full scope of practice authority here in Idaho. And the reason why Idaho does that is they want you to be in a rural setting and they want you to access to care, access to care. Right. So that's kind of, that's kind of the philosophy behind it, which is a great philosophy. So they have a very liberal scope of practice. If you look at our scope of practice laws, it's written in a way that basically says they don't give you a lot of limitations. They just say, Hey, get the training. And if you can get competent at something, go for it. And so that's, that's kind of how it is. So anyway, so I'm so, yeah, um, take me back to your clinic. Yeah. So you open up with your, so I, with, your I open up with my dentist, with yeah. my uncle, Dent, the dentist. And um, I start doing these things that, that he can't quite do. And so I'm doing lab work and stuff for his patients. And I started kind of like a little primary care pr- practice, but I wanted to focus more on wellness versus treating sickness. And so, so I started kind of diving into wellness and why people feel crummy versus why are they sick? I started playing with like hormones and I started, you know, doing weight management and stuff like that. And I wasn't quite getting to the bottom of the root cause. Like, why do people feel fatigued all the time? Why do people feel tired all the time? Why aren't they, what, what's going on, you know? And, and so I kind of, in 2019, this is a couple of years after, you know, starting the practice, I, I started treating people with neuromodulators, which is a fancy word for like medicines like Botox, to treat TMJ issues, a dental problem. Okay. So you can put some neuromodulators into the muscles that clench and grind, and you can help alleviate craniofacial pain, which led me into kind of aesthetics as well, because you use Botox for aesthetic yeah. reasons too. Yeah. But anyways, I found out, I was like, okay, well, why do all these people have these TMJ problems? Why are they clenching and grinding? And I found out, I went to a conference, that 96% of people that clench and grind have sleep disorder breathing, such as sleep apnea. Sleep apnea. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, holy smokes, I didn't know this. So, I, And dental, the dental world, they, they're, they're big on treating airway. Like they have a whole subset in their, in their, in, in dental, dental practice where they treat airway and they do that by jaw repositioning and, you know, treating TMJ and stuff like that. And so I started going to dental conferences and I started learning about airway from the dental side and come to find out it's a freaking problem. Like there are tens of thousands of people that have sleep disorder breathing. I see it all the time. I, I walk down the street and I could just see it on people now. <laughs> right? uh, no, I'm serious. <laughs> My uncle and I, we started this breathing practice. And we started, we, we, we went to the, we got all the training in 2019. And then 2020, we started treating people for airway. 
And I do all the workups for them. I do the sleep testing. I, I do laboratory testing. And then if they have a dental, there's a dental option to treat sleep apnea. And if they have, if they meet those criteria, then he, he'll, he'll treat the, the sleep apnea. Well, anyways, we did it as a afterthought in both of our practice. We've treated, in fact, I just got the statistics a couple of weeks ago. We treated in the first year, so 2020 minus the pandemic, um, we treated about 144 patients or 154 patients. Um, of which 20% of them ended up in some sort of oral appliance that, you know, he fitted them to. But So like but, a sleep machine, something to help them. Well, not, C, not like CPAP's an option. Like I, if they need a CPAP, I'll, I'll manage that. But there's, there's oral appliances you could put in somebody's mouth that advances the jaw and opens up uh, the airway at night. Okay. So we started looking at it and we were bringing in about almost $18,000 of revenue a month doing this as a happen thought. Okay. Like as an afterthought. And yeah. And so anyways, long story short, next year, we're going to start another business that's focused solely on breathing. And we're going to bring- Because there is a big movement of breathing, the Winhof method. People are getting really into breath work. For sure. It's huge. It's huge. This is so cool. Well, I'll tell tell you my story on the breathing stuff. And we're probably going off track here, but I don't care. It's, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. You know, that conference I told you where I was learning about all this stuff, they had, they had a vendor come and the vendor was a home sleep, pa- sleep test vendor. Okay. And they said, hey, anybody in the audience want to do a, a sleep study tonight while we're at this conference? I raised my you hand and they gave, they gave me oh a sleep study. So I go back to my hotel room. I take this sleep study. Next day I wake up, I go into the conference. They have all my numbers up on the, on the screen and I have sleep apnea. And I'm like, what is going on? I, I mean, I had I had sleep apnea, and I had they no idea. I'm like, no. Blast. I know, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, son of a gun, this is a huge deal. No wonder I feel like crap. Yeah. And then that was my aha moment. If I have sleep apnea, and yeah. I'm a medical and not- provider, and I didn't recognize that I have sleep apnea, I'm treating. How many more. of my patients yeah. have it? Wow. And so anyways, I went back and we fitted myself in this oral appliance that, that, that expands the palate and and moves the mouth and stuff like that. I've wore it for two years and I cured my sleep apnea. Like I no longer have sleep apnea. I just did a sleep study a few months ago and I I went from about 15 apneic events an hour to four, which if you know medicine, you, you need at least five to have sleep apnea. And so it wow. cured my sleep apnea. It forced me to breathe through my nose. The nose is what's supposed to filter out all that crap. My story, which is about two years old, and now I'm fixing patients. I saw this woman a couple weekends ago. She had a tongue problem. She had sleep disordered breathing because she had a tongue tie, which we don't get trained on school on how to no. evaluate like You don't really hear about that in neonates, though. Like when they're born, like little Well, guess infants. what? They don't fix them as a neonate. They have that tongue problem their whole life, Right. We did a tongue tie release on her yeah, and did something called myofunctional therapy, which is like physical therapy for the tongue. I work her up. She gets treated and I don't see her for a year. She comes back into my office a year later and I walk into the exam room and I don't recognize her. And I'm like, holy smokes, you look amazing. And she goes, yeah. And I go, what's different? She goes, I breathe through my nose. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, no, ever since is, you fixed my tongue, crazy. I can breathe through my nose. I don't have sleep issues anymore. I sleep. She had lost 18 pounds, not even trying. She exuded health. Where before she looked sick, now she looked healthy. And she goes, this has been the most amazing thing in my life. You know, we ran her labs. All her inflammatory markers had gone down. Her cholesterol had gone down. Why? Because she's sleeping and breathing through her nose. So about 25% of my practice now is on airway and sleep. 
and I work up a lot and I'm going to be transitioning that over to a new, a new business next year. We've got an investor that's going to be funding it. And it's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty so cool. So you've got stuff. the sleep aspect, you've got the Botox, which you also do teachings. When I was looking yeah. up kind of what you're involved in, you've described that you really wanted to give back to the nursing profession. You enjoyed mentorship. And so you said, how can I create, you know, something that I can continue to give my knowledge to those who want who want it, who are, you know, exactly starting so off in their career? About I think two years ago, Idaho State University, which is where I got my doctoral program through, they asked me to be a, a professor and an adjunct faculty. And so I taught a few courses and it was great. Unfortunately, they don't really pay that well. Like I was getting like a couple grand to teach a course type of a thing. and I, But I did it because I was passionate about teaching and whatnot. Then COVID hit and I shut my practice down for six weeks, like most of America shut down. And when you are self-employed and you require to be working to make money, and you take six weeks off. It almost bankrupted me. Like it wow. was not. A, it was not a good situation. So I thought this is going to happen again. What can I do to help the revenue stream? And so I started the Dr. John courses. In in we, over the summer of 2020, we filmed some e courses, and then we developed our curriculum and whatnot. And I go and I told my marketing team, Hey, let's build this. And let's focus on nurses. So we built a funnel on Instagram and we focused on nurses. And we've done a lot of engagement with nurses, podcasts like these and whatnot. And the reason why I wanted to focus on nurses is COVID really has screwed up the nursing profession. There've always been burnout in nursing. When I was in school, I did a paper on burnout. And all the literature on burnout, they use nurses as the example. <laughs> the case study. Yeah, and, and these are like psychologists that, yeah, these are yeah. psychologists that are, are working on burnout. And they use the nursing profession as the quintessential job that you're going to get burned out in. Yeah. So we had burnout before and then COVID comes and the burnout now, it's ridiculous. Like I had a yeah. patient come in last week who was a nurse on the unit I used to work at in the hospital. Mm. And I go, oh, how's everybody doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. She goes, there's only three people left. And I go, what do you mean there's oh only three gosh. people left? She goes, there's only three people on our unit that are actually hired to work our unit. The rest are travel nurses. Now, when I left, there was there was 60 nurses on our unit that we, that we had hired-ish. They're down Another to three. three. They lost yeah. everybody. And no, the whole unit's not. now travel nurses. What did she attribute the like the loss of attrition to? Did she say like it was vaccine mandates? Did she say it was just the workload? Did she say it was I think it came down to the workload. Like um it's not so much that they had more patients, it's that the ancillary staff used to help them are gone. Like the the certified nursing assistants, you know, when I left the hospital, they had I think on average eight patients to take care of. And when they left, there was one or two for the whole 35 bed unit. So it went from eight Smart. patients to care for to like 16. Yeah, and then, nuts. you know, that's the dangerous. People, that's what that is. That's dangerous. And then the people, like even the people used to like stock the rooms, they got rid of those and the nurses had to stock the rooms, you know, the, the, yeah, right. And then the, the charge nurses, instead of being, you know, didn't have any patients they could help out. They had a full patient load. And so it's just these little things to where you take away more and more resources and you go to work and you hate it. And I didn't realize what kind of stress I was, I was under at the hospital. Um, I, you know, I left several years ago and my son had just had surgery this last spring. And when I drove into the parking lot, I hadn't been there to the hospital 
I drove yeah. into the parking lot. My heart started, in, I started getting palpations, palpitations. And I had this thought. Yeah, I had this thought. I hope I have enough staff tonight. Now, when I left the hospital, I was a nursing administrator and I was responsible for making sure we had staff, you know, and everything. Yeah. And I, I realized I had PTSD, like, oh my gosh. I'm having a post-traumatic stress event right now because I pulled into the parking lot. All those emotions came flooding back and I felt stressed out. You're not even there for that. You're not even there for that. No. And so I'm like, I was under that stress every single day in the hospital. So anyways, nurses are, nurses are getting burned out and there's a lot of nurse injectors out there, but they needed the training. I created this journey, having done the journey myself in aesthetics mm-hmm. and learning what was right and what was wrong. I started off with this little cheap intro course that says, hey, these are the things you need to think about if you're a registered nurse before you jump into aesthetics. And then once you meet all these criteria, come talk to me. I do bi-monthly Zoom trainings, you know, live with me. That is so cool. Yep. I've made those fairly inexpensive. And then if they want hands-on training, they can come and see me for hands-on training. I started that in January and it, it got really busy. Like I had no idea how, how, how busy I was going to be. It took a lot and it took a lot of my time, but I was loving it because I'm, I'm helping nurses, which I'm really passionate about, but I've had nurses that have changed their life. Like there's this one nurse I have, um, who I keep in contact with that I trained. I sent her, she sent me a text in the spring and she's like, I just wanted to thank you for the course. I'm doing really well. And I'm like, Oh, okay. She goes, yeah, well I launched this month. And I worked a total of 14 hours and I made $6,000, like $6,800. And, and she goes, I had no idea I can make this kind of money as a bets as a nurse. And I go, good for you. She quit her job. She's a mom. She literally works like five to 10 hours a week and makes as much money as she would working full-time at a hospital. What you know. I, I've found through having all these discussions with nurse practitioners and nurses that have stepped outside on their own, the fear is one of the things that all the nurses are dealing with. They're grappling with, how do I leave this thing that you've kind of found a lot of comfort in? You can expect the crazy. You kind of get used to your abuser, right? When you're like, no, no, come be free. There's like a thousand other people and options. Like, don't settle there. What's something that you would say to help a nurse that is struggling with that fear, what would be a tactic you would recommend? In my training, I actually, we spent about 30 minutes talking about this and I have what I call the obstacles. Or barriers. That, that barriers yeah. you have. And one of the barriers is change. Nurses hate change. They hate it. Think about when your hospital or your organization comes up with a new policy and you're like, why in the heck are we doing this? We've been doing it this way for X amount of years. Yeah. They don't want to change. How many nurses do you know that got a job out of school and ended up gra- retiring from that same job? Like so I, I know of a handful, like yes, off the top me too. of my head. Me too. They just don't leave the, the job, even though they hate it. Yes. They come to work and they're like, oh, I hate this. They'll work until the day they die. You know Why? Because change is uncomfortable and nurses don't want to be uncomfortable. Human beings don't want to be uncomfortable. Now, on the converse, nurses hate change, but they actually adapt remarkably well to it. Like all those policies that you think of that your organization has made changes to, yeah. you adapt very well to it. And so I, I let I, I make sure that they recognize, hey, change is scary, change is fearful, 
But without risk, there's no reward. And you have to risk on your something. And you can make that risk as risky as you want it to be. Oh, you know, starting a new business, can be very, starting, can be, starting business can be very expensive. When I started my business, I did it the most expensive way possible, which is called a brick and mortar. You get a physical location and you start a business. Why is that the most expensive? Well, you got a location, you got to rent. You've got staff, you've got a lot of overhead, Mm -hmm. a lot of overhead, right? Water, sewer, trash, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to do a business like that. You could do something very simple. Like one of my, that nurse I just told you about how she made her money is her sister was owned a salon and she went in and one day a week would do injectables at this, at her sister's salon. She paid her sister like 300 bucks a month. Okay. Which is nothing to start a business. Yeah. The sister has all the insurance paid for. That's that's already taken care of. She had to get some malpractice insurance, which is like 300 bucks a year for a nurse. And she started injecting. And it's basically pure profit. The only thing that's that she's risking is her time, right? Yeah, she had to buy some supplies and whatnot. There's yeah. some risk with that. What ended up happening was, yeah, she risked a little bit of her time, but now she has nothing but time. She left the hospital. She could spend all the time in the world with her, with her, her family. Yeah. Right. And that, that story is not unique. A lot of my trainees who hit, who put their, their shoulder to the wheel and, and really yes. pushed, yeah. they become very successful. The ones that aren't successful are the ones that, oh, they do training and then they just think that if you build it, they will come. It doesn't work that way. You got to work it. You got to knock yeah. on doors. You got to hustle. Do yeah. You got to yeah. hustle. So, so I, I always encourage nurses to invest in themselves. Like, if you, I mean, think how hard you work for another organization. Now put that same amount of effort into yourself. Come on, John. Yes. Right? Yes. You're, you're, you're going to be successful. Yes. And I love that you will never fire yourself. That's the thing that I always tell myself. Whenever I was, I was down one day about the podcast and I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get it out. And then I was like, so what? You're going to fire yourself? Like, you're going to be all right. And I was like, you're right, Sandra. You're going to be just fine. You're not going to fire yep. you. Keep hustling, girl. There is a different feeling when you're working for yourself about, you know, something that you're building. That is your passion. You do feel differently about going and working on that. And then also the life that it creates outside of that. You're just like, this is awesome. This is really it's like great. When you start your own business, it's like having a baby. And any, but any of the parents out there know that the first little bit kind of sucks. You got this baby. All they do is cry, poop, and spit up. And that's what a yeah. business is like when you first start it. Yeah. Eventually, they start oohing and on at you. And, oh, that's so cute. And eventually, they start sleeping through the night. And you're like, oh, this is cute. Yeah. And then they turn into teenagers. You're like, oh, my gosh. You got all these growing pains, right? That's why yeah. I'm at right now in my business. Like, I got that's a lot beautiful. of growing pains. Yeah, that's and, really But beautiful. at some point, your business, you let go, and it runs itself. And then you've got all the freedom in the world. Yeah. And owning your own business is freedom. It, it, it's a lot of work, but it's freedom. I mean, I work 31 hours a week. I work Monday through Thursday. I'm off at 2 o'clock on Thursdays. And I have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off every week. It's a wonderful thing. It's awesome. Right? If I want to take a week yeah. off, I take a week off. If I want to go to a conference, I go to a conference. I have nobody telling me what to do. And that kind of freedom is amazing. You don't have to get approved for PTO. You don't have to work mandatory overtime. There's none of that. If you want to, great. If not, that's okay too. Thank you for sharing all the pieces of your journey to where you are today. You've told us highs. You've told us lows. Is there any specific examples along along the way that were either something you had to overcome, a challenge, a moment that you thought, 
oh no, my business is going under. Kind of like when you just, when you described like COVID and like just being like, I was going to be bankrupt. Any other moments that you feel like you want to highlight on for our listeners that can kind of help them relate to the struggle? Yeah. My first year of owning my own practice, I had the philosophy, if I build it, they will come. It's not how it works. I didn't understand or appreciate the value of marketing. And marketing is incredibly important because how are people going to hear about you? Okay. And there's lots of different ways of doing marketing. It took me two years to figure that out. Like after the second year, my first year, I I generated $9,000 of revenue in one year. Now I kept my job at the hospital, you know, so I was working that to to pay the bills, but I only had nine and I spent like, I don't know, 30 grand to get my business started. So $9,000 and you spent 30, the second year, the second year I did, I did a little bit better. So what I did to, to get the word out is I got on social media and I really hit Instagram hard. It's free. It it got to the point where it was um, too much for me to, to handle. I now pay somebody to run my social media, but it's every dollar I spend, I probably get 30 back. I have a very successful practice. I have on average about, I think I just looked at the numbers yesterday, 71 new patients a month into my practice, which is, if a you month. don't, that's a month. Nuts. Yeah, that's, that's, a lot. that's good growth. That's good growth. And they all find me on, on Instagram or Google me. It took it. Google's great, but it takes a while to build up your search engine yeah. optimization. It took me about yeah. four years to where I started popping up on the first page. So you got to, you got to work on that too. But Instagram's a great way of just instantly getting you know, in front of people. When I started, I could look at the day when I started doing marketing and I started doing it well. And I literally started having exponential growth. And so when you start off, have a marketing plan and you're not going to have a lot of money to, to do it. That's fine. Learn, learn the ins and out of Instagram, learn the ins and out of YouTube channels. One of the nurses I trained, he's a nurse. He already had a business running in, in Georgia and he, his business was, he would go do COVID testing and do immunizations and stuff like that. That was his business. He realized that that's not going to last forever. And so he contacted me about learning injectables. He does some training on the side for nurses to do, to become entrepreneurs. And he did it through YouTube. YouTube's a great way of getting in front of people. There's a lot of successful business owners. You mentioned that you're going to potentially put this, these podcasts on YouTube. Great way of getting your name out. So do YouTube, do Instagram. These are all free things you can, you have access to. And if you want to pay somebody to do marketing for you too, that's great. I've played around with a bunch of stuff. Really cheap marketing that you could do is streaming ads like on Hulu and these, you know how every, every network has... They're actually very inexpensive for a thousand bucks a month, which sounds like a lot when you're starting a business, you can literally get your ad in front of about 30,000 people. I mean, considering like how much ads cost for like Super Bowl and like you see these big time ads. And those are commercials that people have to watch for these these training things. So I've played with that a little bit. I run Google ads, I stuff like that. I spent about $3,000 a month on marketing now. But, you know, when I started off, I didn't. When I started off, I did all the free stuff. Yeah, but you've seen that it paid. It's such a big deal. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's probably how you found me is through Instagram, correct? I did. I did find you through Instagram. Any mentors along the way, anyone that you felt or you'd like to give a shout out that's really helped develop you in your career and anybody that you do have mentoring you right now? I mean, do you have any of those? My uncle, the dentist, actually helped mentor me through business. He helped me uh, a lot through that. His name's Lon. We work in the same building. So we see each other every day, which is awesome. I have a brother that's a lawyer. He's really helped mentor me through like the business side of things. Like, hey, these are the legal aspects of your business and stuff. The other thing that's really important is getting a good accountant when you're starting your own business. 
So I have an accountant, Jack Trent. He helps you think through things to where you can be financially responsible and a good yeah. steward of money that yeah. comes in. Yeah. Um, as far as like mentors that have trained me, I've had a lot. So it's hard for me to like send out a shout out to like one or two, two different people. Uh, but I am a junkie for continuing education. I have spent more after my doctoral program on continuing education that I did on my doctoral program. Wow. I go to tons of conferences and I'm always learning from people. I fly experts out to train me on certain things. I've done that a few times. I've flown to other providers' practices and learned from them. Postgraduate education, which can be expensive, but I'm a junkie for all that kind of stuff. So like last weekend I was in, or not last weekend, the weekend before I was in Chicago learning how to do fat transfers, you know, take fat from one area of the body and put it in another area of the body. And you can and, do this in the clinic setting. This is yeah. not an under anesthesia type thing. No, nope. no. Nope. Give them a little, a little Valium, a little Benadryl kind of help calm them down. And then just take fat from one area and put it in the other area. I was, wow. you know, refining my skills on most of what I practice. I did not learn in school. Like if the foundation, like how to treat a patient. Yeah. You learn that yeah. in school, like how to talk to patients and whatnot. But as far as the actual science that I'm doing, I didn't learn that in school. I think that's important for anybody that's going to school. You're not going to come out knowing everything. You're going to come out knowing enough to be safe. And then you got to go, you got to go learn. I think one important thing to, to make note of as well is as nurses, nurse practitioners, realize that hospitals and, and taking a job thinking that, oh, they're going to give me opportunities for growth. I have found the opposite. I have not found that I've had a lot of opportunities for growth while working under a system. It's where I've stepped out of the system and taught myself whatever it is. No one taught me how to do a podcast. Nobody taught me how to do other aspects of procedures or whatever, but I've sought that out on my own. And that's really where that investing in yourself really does lead to growth because waiting and thinking, oh, my job's going to give me some CMEs. I actually get denied when I've been asked, when I've asked my job, hey, I'd like to go and do this conference. Can I use that money that's allotted to me as a benefit? They're like, no, you have to ask for permission where it's like, no, if I just invest in myself and I just go learn it, no one's going to tell me no. I love that you've spent more time learning stuff that wasn't taught in school. And that really is the call to action that I have for all nurses and nurse practitioners is do not sleep on your degree. Because if you sleep on your degree and you think, oh, we can just work in the hospital, you are missing growth. That and is you're going to wake up at 65 retired from a job you don't like. Exactly. Miserable. And you've missed Miserable. your life miserable. I don't want that for you know, this. Head. This sounds very cliche, but it's the absolute truth. I, I like going to work on Monday. I have this, really we, cool. we, we took like five days off and I'm kind of bored right now, which is why I scheduled this podcast. Cause I knew it would kind of really energize me during this, <laughs> yes. this week off. I mean, time off is nice, but like, I look forward to Monday. Like I got tons of fun stuff I'm doing on Monday and I really enjoy going to work. And that sounds so cliche because nurses can't wrap their minds around that because the job kind of sucks. Right. Yeah. When you work for somebody else, it's work. Yeah. When you work for yourself, it's you're growing something that's yours yeah. and it, yeah. it's different. 
it's different. I agree. So if you ever had this inclination, I want to start a business or I want to work for myself, go for it. What is a piece of advice that you said you wish you would have known if, you know, if you did start off in your career? And if, if for example, a nurse that she's just starting off and she's like, what do I need to know? What do I, again, I think you just answered it. So you really could just reverberate what you said, but just the thought of like, what is something that you wish you would have known when you started off your career? That's the one regret I have in life is I wish I would have known the the joys of business ownership in my 20s. Mm, and I, would I agree with that. you. I'd, I would have done that Me so too. much sooner yes. because I'd be right now in a situation where instead of having a teenage kid as a business, I'd have this like full grown. business that's running itself. Yeah. Because right? it takes, yeah. you know, it takes some time. It takes time. You'll never not value taking a risk in yourself. Like when I you agree. risk in yourself, it's. Yeah, you might fail. I mean, look at me. Jeez, I tried to get into dental school three different times and I failed. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Something else always pops up and then you'll yeah. be successful at that. Now uh, you're working with a dentist and you're doing <laughs> Isn't that funny? So awesome. Yeah. I just think it's so full circle. I want nurses to find their passions outside of nursing and then find ways to merge them or even find ways to just go be happy doing something else and let nursing fuel your other dreams. I just had this flashback of when I was a bedside nurse. I had this patient who was a pharmaceutical rep and I was walking him in the hallway and he was a head honcho in this pharmaceutical company. And he goes, yeah, I only hire nurses to be my, my reps. And I go, oh yeah, why is that? He goes, because they know how to sell. And I said, oh, not me. I hate selling. Like, that's not for me. And he goes, oh, that's funny. He goes, you've made me do 10 things today I didn't want to do. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's exactly what he said. And I kind of stopped and that took pause. I'm like, holy smokes, I do sell. Like, I sell people at their worst. Like, these yeah. people are sick and I'm making them do things they don't want to do. Just think about what it'd be like if you're helping somebody do something they want to do and how successful you'd be at that. So sales cool. is huge in business, like any kind of business you're, in, you're going to be selling yourself or your product. It's true. You know how to do it if you're a nurse it's or true. really any healthcare provider. Yeah, I agree. Oh, John, this has been an awesome conversation. Okay. The last part of our, our interview is the rapid fire questions, 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 questions. Let's do it. So yeah, let's go. You're a dad. So what's your favorite Disney animal? My favorite Disney animal? <laughs> you know you have to watch Disney. Okay. I, I, I love the Lion King, so I'm going to say a lion. Oh, okay. All right. So you Simba. Nemo's pretty fun too. Yeah, I agree. Dora's Dora's hilarious. Okay. So tell me about one of your favorite solo artists. Do you have a favorite solo artist? Are you a Taylor Swift fan or? No, not that. Um, (laughs) Solo artist. Well, when you said artist, I went right to the Violent Femmes, which was the band I loved growing up. But they're not solo. I do appreciate Whitney Houston. Like Ooh, she's talented. She, it. she was talented. Yeah, no, she definitely brings it. And then for the final question, what is a city that you wish to live? Since you've only lived in Idaho, okay. I'm assuming you've only question. lived in Idaho. One of my favorite cities is Nashville. I've done a lot of conferences in Nashville. Oh. I love that place. The food is amazing. The weather's <laughs> awesome. The people are nice. It is a cool town. If I didn't live in where I live, I, Nashville would be on 
the top of my list. I love that I place. agree. I think uh, Asheville and Austin are two cities that I just think are just mm. like weird and they're just cool and yeah. you just get a different vibe from those cities. You're yep. like, I could do this all day. So thanks for your time today. Thank you for coming on the podcast yeah. and sharing your journey. I know that um, it's going to help a lot of people and it's going to inspire a lot of nurses to seek freedom. Can you tell us again, just where we can find you if a nurse was looking to seek you out? I know you're on Instagram. Share your spots where people can find you. I have two Instagram um, sites. One is for my business, which is Mountain West Medical. So at Mountain West Medical, you'll find that. And the other Instagram is for nurses that want to be more self-sufficient. And that's at Dr. John McCrae. So D-R-J-O-H-N-M-C-R-A-E. That's more, that's more for nursepreneurs, as, as I call them. So yeah. you can seek me out there. If you want to look at my website, mountainwestmedical.com. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can send me um, an email at info at drjohncourses, D-R-J-O-H-N courses.com. You can send me an email that way. I'd be happy Perfect. to respond to you that way. And I will link all that in the show notes, guys. Thanks for listening today. And yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. We are at the end of our time together. I really enjoyed the chat. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And leave us a review if you like the show. I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse Podcast is on Instagram. So please follow us there for any updates on new podcasts and inspirational information to help you on your own journey. You could always message me at the Dr. Nurse Podcast at gmail.com with any career information or professions that you're interested in hearing about. And as always, thanks for listening. I want to thank my biggest fan supporter on Patreon, Kevin Pryor, for your support of this podcast. If you love this podcast and want to throw some support my way, I would greatly appreciate it. My link is in the show notes. And just a reminder, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used as substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or other professional advice or services. 